Let's pray again. Father, thank you for this morning, for Easter Sunday 2022. Lord, it gives us such a joy to be together, to sing, to celebrate what you have done. Father, you sent your son, Jesus, to save us, to live the life we could not live and then die the death that we deserved. But then he conquered the grave and you, Jesus, are the risen one. You are alive and we worship you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, welcome. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I just want to say uh, we are so glad that you are with us for uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. I want to invite you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to the book of John chapter 15, where we're going to be spending some time together this morning. Uh, we've been, uh, as a church, in a sermon series, walking through the gospel of John little by little. And usually what we'll do on Easter Sunday or Christmas time is if uh, we'll take a break from the current sermon series to focus on, you know, that special holiday season, whatever it may be. But this morning, uh, where we are in the gospel of John chapter 15 just happens to be uh, the perfect text to reflect on and guide us for Easter Sunday. So we're going to be in in John chapter 14. Uh, My hope is that we would be uh, truly encouraged as we look to the reality of the resurrection and what Jesus has done for us. As you find John 15, I'm willing to bet that if you're here this morning, most of us have a desire to be uh, people who live a good, fruitful, impactful life. Most of us want to leave behind a good legacy of impact in the world, bringing about good things. We want our lives to have mattered to produce good things in the world. This is why the the self-help industry is so huge, right? Here's a book, a conference, uh, a a TED talk on how to live a better life, be a better spouse, be a better parent, right? Have a a more, be more productive at work, be a better friend, whatever it might be, right? I don't think that there's much of a market for the opposite, right? Like come and read my book on how to ruin your life and become a garbage person. This is... My book coming out by Pastor Matt, How to Ruin Your Life, Become a Garbage Person. Please buy it. We have copies in the back. Just kidding. I'm not writing a book. And if I did, it wouldn't be titled this, right? I don't think there's much of a market there. No, no one says, hey, my New Year's resolution this year is to be a worse spouse than I was last year. I just want to go downhill, right? I want to be a worse friend. I want to be less loyal, less faithful, have less virtue. I want to, you know, contribute less to the world, I want to do less good in my community this year. And maybe some of you, I don't know all you guys, so maybe some of you, but most of us, right, are like, no, we, we want to live good, fruitful, productive, impactful lives. The question, of course, is, well, great, how? How do we do that? Where, where, where do we look for the teaching or the, those that can guide us to live such a life that truly is good and fruitful There's a lot of different answers circulating in our world today. And we come to John 15 and we see Jesus speaking to this sort of question. How to live a fruitful life. What does the good life look like? How do you live a life that's impactful and productive in the world? Here, John 15, starting in verse four, Jesus speaking says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain 
in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So last week, we we started to unpack this image that Jesus gives us of a vine and branches and a gardener and the vine and the branches are bearing fruit. And Jesus uses this image to explain our relationship with God, that we are called to remain, abide, stay connected, just how a branch has to stay connected to a vine in order to be alive and bear fruit. You have to remain connected to me. And we've talked about before how how Jesus here and then in other parts of the Bible, it'll use this this language of bearing fruit to talk about uh, spiritual realities, right? Vines, vineyards, and the ancient Mediterranean were very familiar to people, right? It was an agrarian society. And so vineyards and crops and farming uh, was pervasive. The average person knew about pruning and about gardening and about fruit trees or fruit vines and so on. And so bearing fruit was this really common, you know, understandable way, figurative way to talk about your life and what it produces, right? What, what comes up out of your heart? What, what presence do you have in the world? What does your life produce in the world? Elsewhere, Jesus says, you know, a good tree is going to produce good fruit. We'll be able to see the results of it. He says in Matthew 21 that uh, the kingdom, his kingdom will belong to those who produce its fruit. So in other words, the people of God who are in the kingdom of God should have this, this evidence of the values of the kingdom coming up out of their heart. Peace and justice and love and humility and love for God and love for people should be evident in their lives. Or last week, we, we talked about Galatians chapter five and that famous passage on the fruit of the spirit, Right? It teaches that if we have the spirit of God within us, there will be fruit. There will be evidence, results from that life in us. And the text tells us that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, if you, through faith, are united to Christ and have his spirit living within you, there should be some some evidence of that. You should start to see more love coming up out of your heart and in your life, more joy in your heart, more more peace, more gentleness, faithfulness, more self-control, and so on. So, So bearing fruit has nothing to do with bears, grizzly or otherwise, although these stickers look pretty cool. That's nothing to do with bears, but it's about what your life produces. And I think as we look about uh, in Galatians chapter five and see the fruit of the spirit and we read that list, right? Love, joy, peace. If that's what the spirit of God produces in us, that's, that's a pretty desirable list, right? Most of us read about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And we're like, well, I I want that. I like, I want to be marked by love. I want more joy in my life, in my heart. I want more peace in my heart. I got young kids. I need more patience in my heart. <laughs> you're like, you see that list? And you're like, I, I, I want those things. So the question then is, is how do we go about living in such a way that those things are coming up out of us? And Jesus gives us the key here in verse four of John 15. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Jesus is saying you have to abide. You have to stay connected. On your own, you're not going to bear this 
fruit. And the picture is one of dependence, right? Reliance. The branch is dependent upon the vine for life. So Jesus, like a vine, is the source of life. He's he's the one that we have to be connected to in order to have life. See, the word itself, remain or or abide, uh, has the idea of, of dwelling in, kind of staying in, continuing to live in. We have to be connected to him. And if we are, then his life his love, his power will flow through us. The more you know, technical theological term for this would be union with Christ. Through faith in Christ, we're united to him, joined to him, are found in him. And it's in that union that we have life. But here's the key. And here's why we're talking about this on Easter Sunday, 2022. This teaching of Jesus is only true if... He's alive, right? What sense would it make if Jesus claimed to be the life giver, the only source of life, the one that you have to be connected to to have life if he's dead? In the image of the vine and the branches, if the vine dies, shrivels up, gets trampled on, is no longer alive, the branches will not have life either. A dead vine cannot produce life in branches leading to fruit. And this is why, this logic, it's pretty simple, but this is why the disciples all fled, right? When Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday, this is why the disciples abandoned him. From Good Friday until Sunday morning in the empty tomb, the disciples were like, you know, game over. We had a good run, you know. We had a good few years with Jesus. Um, I guess now we'll go back to, to fishing or you know, whatever it else it was that we were doing because we were wrong about this guy. We thought he was the king. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the savior of the world. We thought all these things were true about him, but uh, he died. A shameful criminal's death. And so he's just another one of many claiming to be the Messiah, would be Messiahs that died and then their disciples and followers disperse and go on to some other movement. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we're without hope. And trust in him is, is futile. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing, he puts it this way. He said, if Christ had not been raised or has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, if, if Jesus is dead, this all is hopeless. We're wasting our time. Your faith is futile. You know, some say don't put all your eggs in the same basket. But Paul here is saying, no, all our eggs are in the Easter basket. See that? See it in there? Easter basket. Connection. That one was for free. Um, I, I don't think that's the origin of the whole Easter egg basket phenomenon, but you get the point. Paul's saying all our eggs are in the resurrection basket, right? It all hinges upon whether or not the resurrection is true. If it's not and Jesus is dead, let's all just go home. But if it's true, then everything changes. If he rose from the grave, it means he's alive now. It means he is the living one, the true vine. He's the one who conquered the grave and so we're not just left then with some you know, good advice and ancient teachings from a, 
a rabbi, a dead guru. But we have what Romans 6 says, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may walk in newness of life. If Jesus is alive and through faith we're united to him, then we are made alive in him. So with such massive claims, we have to take a moment to think, okay, did this really happen? Is it really true that Jesus rose bodily from the dead that first Easter Sunday? We were modern, reasonable people, so we should take time to think through this. There's a few details of history that that we have to make sense of around this story. And the first is we have the reality of the empty tomb. So no, no body was ever found or produced. Like here's, you know, the dead Jesus. And, and here's the reality. Uh, plenty of people were enemies of Jesus in the first century and wanted to get rid of Jesus and wanted this whole movement to stop. Powerful people. And so if they wanted the movement of the early church to stop, they simply could have been, hey, you're saying Jesus is alive. Well, um, reminder, we killed him. Here's his dead body. You know, you guys can go home. Right? But, but that never happened. The tomb was empty. No body was ever produced. Second, you have the claims of the resurrection showing up in the earliest Christian documents that we have. So the earliest forms of Christianity in their writings, in the worship of the early church, we see them uh, pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. I point that out because some people will say, well, you know, this is probably like some, some sort of myth situation, you know, some legend it evolved, developed over time and over kind of generations and centuries, this story kind of got passed on. And eventually it got to the point where they said Jesus rose from the grave, but that didn't actually happen. Um, but we see in the earliest forms of Christianity, the earliest documents that we have, not later, that they're saying Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. So this wasn't some, you know, evolving myth over time. Also related to this, we have eyewitnesses involved. And so in the gospels, in these accounts, they're saying, hey, uh, so-and-so saw it. Mary, you know, uh, the the women saw it. Uh, Here's Peter, who else? They they were there. And then there's other appearances as Jesus is alive before he ascends. And they're saying, hey, they saw it. They saw him. They saw him. Right. And so the idea is eyewitnesses are still around. Go talk to them. Right. If we're just making this up, uh, they can, again, pretty easy fact check this thing. And again, we could all just go home. Not to mention you have the reality. And I think this is hard for, we're kind of removed from this culture, but uh, we have the reality that these are devout monotheistic Jews. Okay. So the Jews were known for, we worship one God, Yahweh, and one God alone, and not all the other pagan gods out there circulating in the world. We are monotheists. And yet these Jews, devout monotheistic Jews start to worship a man start to worship this Jesus as if he's God. Now, and not just a man, but they start to worship this uh, crucified man, right? Where for them, that's a cursed death. If you die on the cross, you are cursed by God. You are forsaken, right? Game over. It's shameful. They're starting to worship this crucified man. Not only that, but these Jews, their primary day of worship was on Saturday. It was the Sabbath. And now these Jews start to worship on the first day of the week, on Sunday, Again, the Sabbath, it's in the commands, right? Honor the Sabbath. And they're starting to gather for worship on, on Sunday. Like, so what could have happened that would lead to such a massive shift for this community? Not only this, but the apostles, the early church were persecuted, many rejected, killed for their claims about the resurrection. 
And so, you know, if it's me, I'm like, if I'm going to make something up, it's going to be something that advantages me somewhat. You know, I could get rich off of this thing or, or get famous, but, but these men uh, make these claims and then they all go to their death defending them, right? And so if you're making something up, something up and you know it's a lie, why would you go to your death proclaiming it? Not only this, but we have these details in the account that just don't quite fit if you're trying to make something believable, for example, we see, as we heard in the reading from Luke 24, that, that women were the first witnesses at the tomb. Now, sorry, ladies, but in the ancient world, uh, your testimony wasn't worth a whole lot. And so if you wanted to make a story believable, you wouldn't say like, hey, these women told us about it. That, that wouldn't get you very far. And yet they're saying women were the first ones there. They're proclaiming this to us. You wouldn't put that in there unless it actually was true. Not to mention you have how bad the disciples look all the time. Don't we laugh together at church often at our dear brothers, the disciples, and, and how often slow and, and foolish they are. They, even in the text we read, they doubt the resurrection. They look so bad. You're like, if you're just making this up, why don't you take some of those details out? You know, make the leaders of the early church look a little better. There was one, I was struck by this the other week. We were, I was in our Bible reading plan. I was reading in Luke chapter 22. This is just a quick example of this. Okay, Jesus is talking about his, his body and his blood being given for the sins of the world. This this intimate moment with his disciples, you know, a few hours before he's going to be uh, going to the cross. And it says, right after it explains Jesus saying this, uh, right afterwards in Luke 22, the disciples get into an argument about which of them is greater. True story. As if, you know, picture this, picture Jesus, guys, this is my body given for you. Guys, this, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm about to die for the sins of the world. And then right afterwards, yeah, yeah, cute story, Jesus, but really which one of us is the greatest? You know, Peter's saying he's pretty smart. I think I'm pretty strong. Cute illustration with the bread and the wine, uh, but let's really talk about which of us is more important here in this movement. It's like, what? They're clearly not getting the significance of the moment. They look so silly. And again, if you're making up the story, don't you think you're just like, we can just edit that part out, you know, <laughs> leave that over here. No one needs to know about that. And yet it's in there. So it shows that they didn't feel the freedom just to kind of fabricate details or change things. Not to mention we have this claim of the resurrection I mean, that was wholly unexpected in the ancient world. Sometimes we think, oh, those ancient people, they're so gullible. You know, they believe anything. But it, it wasn't the case. You know, the dead people that they knew also, you know, stayed dead, just like today. Um, and in, in the Jewish mindset, they had no concept of a, a resurrection like what happened with Jesus. They were like, hey, at the end of all time, there's going to be this judgment and kind of this mass resurrection and we'll stand before God and all that. But there wasn't a sense of, of an individual uh, coming back and living like Jesus did. So that didn't make sense to them. And for the Greeks and the Romans, uh, it also wasn't really within their framework of how uh, their you know, spiritual possibilities, it wasn't an option. And yet we have this explosive movement of the early church in the first century claiming Exactly that. Jesus rose from the grave. He's alive. Now, I point this out because often, you know, when we're talking about this or sharing the gospel, there's, you know, um, the burden of proof kind of put on, on the Christian to say, hey, like, prove it. You know, explain that this is true. And that's fine. We, we can talk through that. But I just, I just want you to realize if you're here and you deny the resurrection, you have some work to do as well, right? You have to somehow 
explain these details of history and how present some kind of historically plausible convincing explanation for how came to pass, right? What's, we all have to discern what's the best explanation for all these different realities, these really undisputed points of history. And Christians have throughout history said the best explanation is that Jesus actually rose again. He's actually alive. So back to John 15. Okay, Jesus, the living one, he says, you have to abide in me if you want to bear fruit. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. So as we're talking about remaining or abiding, I want you to notice a couple of things. First, it's this relational experiential reality, right? It's it's a relational experiential reality. We are to be with Jesus, connected to Jesus, have life and his power Within us. I mean, this is at its core what it means to be a Christian. Hear me well. Be, being a Christian is not uh, primarily about just a, a list of intellectual, uh, you know, facts that you are to give assent to. It includes that, but it's not primarily, hey, like you, we're going to give you a Scantron test and it's going to be multiple choice and you have to like just check the right box that says, you know, Jesus is the savior of the world. Check that box. You're good. It's not just about intellectual information. It's about what this relational union with Christ, that through faith we're joined to Christ, we're made alive in him. We've gone from, from death to life because we're connected to Jesus, the living one. And so here, just the simple truth that it's not just about what we know about Jesus, but it's about if we know Jesus, right? We're not just here at church to gather more information to fill our minds, but we're here to hopefully to be led to know Jesus personally, to know his life in us and us being in him. So there's this relational experiential reality that we're invited into. And notice also that in order to abide and remain in Jesus, there's this call to obedience. Obedience. In just a few verses, in verse 10, Jesus is going to say, hey, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. In other words, he makes this unbreakable link between love for Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and obedience to Jesus. Pastor Lee a few weeks ago preached on this from John 14, right? Where Jesus says, very simply, if you love me, you will obey me. He's pretty straightforward, meaning uh, we can, with our mouths, say, you know, I love Jesus, and Jesus is the most important thing in my life, and I'm even going to get, like, really passionate, and I'm going to raise that hand in worship every once in a while, I'm going to be really serious about this. Uh, That's fine. We can say that and, and do that and sing really loudly, but Jesus is saying your life, your actions, how you live, how you handle my word and my commands, that's going to determine and show whether you truly love me or not. Right? So you, you can't just say that you love me and then not obey me. You can't just say that you love me and then live a life contrary to how I'm calling you to live. You can't just say that you love me and then, you know, make a living of stealing old women's handbags on the street. He's like, those things don't, you can't just do both of those things. I don't know. That's for someone here this morning. Um, 
We can't just say, I know God's word says I need to forgive. He has forgiven me, and so I need to forgive. But, but I'm going to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. That feels better for me. Or we can't say, I know I'm called to love my family and to love other people uh, sacrificially and lay down my life for the good of my family and my neighbors. But I'm actually, I'm going to decide to live selfishly instead and just look out for me. We can't say, I know God tells me to be generous, my money with my time, but really my money and my time is just about me. We can't say, I know God says, don't neglect gathering with my church family for worship. But let's be honest, I got other priorities on weekends. I know Jesus says that he's the only way to be saved. But that sounds kind of narrow, so I'm going to keep my mind open about it because I'm more open and accepting than Jesus is. Do you see? We can't say, I love Jesus. I'm just not going to do what he says or, or listen to what he says. Eventually, if that's the case, it just becomes, oh, we we like Jesus. Or we love the idea of Jesus. But we don't actually love him. We're not actually abiding in him. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. And here's the deal. In our lives, for all of us in different ways, we're going to be tempted to believe, okay, the way of Jesus is over here, but, but life is over here. And fulfillment is over here. I know God's word says to go this way and to treat people this way and to interact with people this way, but really it's more satisfying over here. And we're constantly going to have to choose. Will we remain? Will we abide? Will we believe what Jesus says about the good life? What truly leads to life and flourishing? Or will we let someone else or our own hearts determine the way? We have to notice also that there's, there's a warning in this passage, right? You see it in verse six. Jesus says, if you do not remain in me, you're, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. So, I mean, Jesus isn't pulling punches. There's a strong contrast here, right? There's two options he presents in front of us. Remain, abide, receive life in me, walk in me, or wither, tossed away into the fire. Jesus shows us how high the stakes are here, right? Life and death presented in front of us. If we're not connected to Jesus, I think about it, if we're uh, uh, disconnected from Jesus, the true vine, the, the living one, the giver of life, what does that leave for us? Death. If we're not connected to Jesus, the living one, the source of life, we have death. And and sure, we may do good deeds in the world and in different ways help people. And I know plenty of non-Christians who do good things in the world, but at the end of the day, we'll still be separated from God. And this is where we just have to come to terms with what do we believe about the human condition? Because the scriptures make it pretty clear that yes, we're made in the image of God and give an incredible capacity for creativity and, and blessing in the world and helping the world flourish. And yet at the same time, we are infected with this reality of sin in our hearts. And we're loved by God, yet we've, we've turned from God and set ourselves up as our own gods. And we make the rules now. And we want to do things our own way. And so we've dishonored God and fractured our relationship with him. And then we've made a mess of the world. And it doesn't take long just to look around at the world and see the 
the evil and selfishness of the human heart on display. Scriptures tell us the human condition is one of needing to be rescued and forgiven. We're dead in our sin. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So scripture makes it clear, right? We were dead in our sin. We were dead, dead in our transgressions, separated from God, cut off from life under his judgment. But God's rich in mercy. And he loves us. He sent his son Jesus to come and die for us. And through faith, we can be united to this Jesus and receive the gift of life in him. It's not by works. We don't earn it. So I don't jump through the hoops and being good enough simply by receiving it by faith. Now notice Jesus goes on. Look how he ends verse seven and eight. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So notice from verse eight, fruit in our lives, when we bear good fruit in the world, it glorifies the father. It glorifies God and it, shows that we're truly walking with Jesus when we see this fruit. Not that we're going to live perfect lives, not that we're never going to sin and make mistakes, but in general, there's going to be this evidence of, of this fruit in us. But here's, here's where we have to be careful because sometimes we'll read verse eight and we'll be like, wow, if we bear fruit, we're going to glorify God. That sounds important. I should want to, I should want to glorify God, I think. Um, and I, you know, I want to be shown to be a true disciple of Jesus. So I, I, I want to see fruit in my life. Uh, that's a good impulse, but sometimes then we'll go about the approach all wrong and, and, and in, in a few different ways. I've talked about this before, but sometimes what we'll try and do is we'll try and duct tape fruit under, you know, we'll have like our, our, the tree will be like, wow, this, my tree is looking, it's looking kind of bare. I mean, this branch, there's like not much fruit. It's a little thinned out. Let's be honest, you know, kind of, kind of struggling right now. Uh, I got to get some fruit on here quick. And so quick, get the duct tape. <laughs> Look at it. This branch is alive in the vine. Look at the fruit. We make some sort of like, you know, temporary kind of external changes in a rush, external tweaks with no, no real heart change. So we've got to manufacture that fruit. Like, looking, looking kind of bad over here. Quick. There, try that. Look at that. Or the other thing that we do is we'll notice, man, there's not enough fruit. And so I just, I really got to make this thing happen. Like, it's up to me. I got to work hard. I got to try harder. I'm going to go to another Bible study. I'm going to memorize some more Bible verses. I'm going to fill the calendar up with church stuff. I'm going to make some social media posts about, I was at church today. Here's the verse. It was great. And we just really make this thing happen. And we get a grimace. And we just, have you ever seen a tree do this? Just, mm, Look at it. Right there. But that's not how trees work at all, is it? Right? We don't see trees out there like really like, wow, this one's really straining over there. Look at, look at it trying to make that fruit. It's like, nah, oranges, you know? 
It doesn't happen that way. Or we do this with each other. We're like, there's not enough fruit on your tree. You're looking pretty big. You, we we got to turn the pressure up on you. You better, you better get to work. You, you better try harder. We're going to lay the guilt on you. And let's all just like grimace together. Come on. It ends up exhausted. And thinking it's up to us. So I don't want you to try and duct tape the fruit. I don't want you to try and in your own strength make the fruit pop up. Here, look at the promise in verse 5. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. See that? If you're connected to the vine, you're going to bear fruit. It's a promise. In Christ, you'll bear fruit. There, there's no doubt about it. And so, so your job, our job, isn't to you know, get stressed out and duct tape the fruit, manufacture it from the outside, or, or try to just get really stressed and, and make it happen on our own. Our, our job is what? Remain. Just stay connected to Jesus. You're going to bear fruit. Stay connected. Have you heard the story of Corey Ten Boom? Many of you have. She's an amazing woman, um, Christian survivor of the Holocaust back in World War II. Uh, after the war in 1947, she went back to Germany with, uh, from Holland to Germany with a message of God's forgiveness. Just to, to proclaim and celebrate the fact that God forgives sinners. After the talk, a man came up to her to give this great message about how God throws all our, our sin in the ocean and he forgives us. And this, this man comes up to her and he says to her, uh, Fraulein, he's German, says, um, I was a, a guard at the concentration camp where you were uh, held. She was held in the concentration camp with her sister. Her sister died in that concentration camp. She mentioned that in her talk, and he didn't recognize her, but he came up and said, I, I was a guard in that camp. And I've since become a Christian. And I realized the great wrongs that I've done, and I sought forgiveness from God and asked for his forgiveness, but it would mean, mean the world if, if you would forgive me. And he holds out his hand that she would take it and embrace him and extend forgiveness. And she says it, it felt like his hand was standing there for uh, minutes or, or hours because she didn't know what to do. In her, in her heart, she says, my heart was cold towards him. Andably so. Her sister had died. She was a victim in this concentration camp because of his cruel acts. She says, I know God wants me to forgive. I know Jesus tells me to forgive. I know God forgives, but my heart is cold to this man. And I don't know if I can do it. And in that moment with his hand stretched out still, she says this, I prayed silently, Jesus help me. Jesus help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. I can throw my hand out there and take hold of his, but God, I need you to do something within me in order for this to be real. And so she says, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out towards me. And as I did, she says, an incredible thing took place. 
She says this, this healing warmth ran down her arm, through her elbow, into her hand, into their clasped hands together. And she said this, this sense of warmth and love seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And she says, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And she said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And her story, of course, is a powerful one of forgiveness and grace. And it's also a perfect picture of how the life of the vine flows through its branches. How in our own strength, we, we can't do the things God has called us to do. How in our own strength, we can't live the way God has called us to live. We need him to do something within us, not just once at salvation, but continually filling us with his power and his spirit to help us live the lives he's called us to. We have to come to him and say, Father, would you help me? Would your love and your life, the life of the true vine flow through me as one of your branches that I might bear fruit? And so friends, we're going to take a moment to, to respond. We're going to We'll have communion in just a minute. We're going to pray together just now before we do that. And I just simply want to provide an opportunity for you to respond. Uh, a couple times throughout the year, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to respond physically. I'm not going to ask you to get up and come down to the front. We're not going to give you a microphone. Don't worry. Uh, but I, but I, I think it's important often to, to physically respond, to say, you know, God's doing something in my heart. And I'm not just going to stay, uh, you know, silent and quiet about that. I need to acknowledge that. And so what we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to pray in just a moment. Next, why don't you just close your eyes with me? Close your eyes, bow your heads now. We're going to pray together. But I, I want to invite you to acknowledge uh, that God's uh, at work in your heart uh, by simply raising your hand in just a moment. You don't have to do it right now, but, but here's uh, who I would want to invite to raise their hand. Um, if you're here this morning and you, you've never trusted in Jesus, you're like, you know what, I've, I've never turned from my sin. I've never put my faith in Jesus and received life. I've never acknowledged my sin and my need for a savior. And I want to do that today. I want to I believe in this Jesus and follow him. Then uh, I would invite you to raise your hand in just a moment. Just to acknowledge, I want to follow Jesus. But, but also, if you're here this morning, and maybe you're already a Christian, but you're sensing kind of like Corey Ten Boom, where there's a situation in your life where you're like, Lord, I know you're calling me to something to forgive, to love, to act, to take a risk, to believe, to, uh, to do something. And I don't think I have the strength to do it. And Lord, I need your help. And so if either of those are true of you, would you just raise your hand and keep it up right now? All eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I just want to be able to pray for you. If that's you and you're like, Lord, I want to trust in you for the first time, or Lord, would you help me? Would your life and your love flow through me in this situation? I see you. I see you. You can keep those hands up. I see you. 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 You can put your hands down now and let's let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends who just raised their hands for anyone who just put their, their trust and faith in you for the very first time, Jesus, 
We celebrate that. We celebrate that you are the giver of life, that we are dead in our sin and can only be made alive through faith in you and what you've done for us on the cross in your resurrection. I pray that uh, for anyone who has accepted you today for the first time, Lord, you'd fill them with joy and your power to take these next steps of faith and get connected uh, to our church and follow you faithfully. And Lord, I pray for my friends today who raise their hands and who, who already know you and yet sense, Lord, I need more of your power, your presence, your love in my life. I pray that in whatever situation they're facing, you uh, and, and your life would, would flow through them like a vine into its branches. That you would give them power, strength, love, compassion, humility, um, whatever is required in this situation that, that can't come from them. Help them depend on you and I pray that there would be great fruit in their life because of that. Lord Jesus, we love you and, and we're about to uh, take communion as a church family. And so we just want to say thank you now in this moment of prayer. Thank you for going to the cross, bearing our sin. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you that through faith in you, we can, because of your great mercy and grace, be forgiven and made alive in Christ. So we celebrate that as we take these elements in just a moment. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, hopefully you got the communion elements as you came in. As a church family, we're going to uh, respond by, by taking the bread and the cup, uh, representing Jesus' broken body and his shed blood on the cross for us. Before he went to the cross that night with his disciples, before he was betrayed, took the bread and he, excuse me, one moment before I sorry, He took the bread and he took the cup and he pointed forward to what he was about to do to go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. And we practice open communion here at FBC, which means if you are a follower of Jesus, even if you're, you're visiting or from out of town, you're a guest, if you've put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we invite you to participate with us. And so you can prepare the elements there on the night he was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.